Chapter 21, verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so Manasseh, the most wicked king that the southern kingdom ever saw. So remember, after Solomon, there's a civil war. Ten tribes go to the north, form a nation which is called, in First and Second Kings, the, na the nation of Israel. In the south, Judah and Benjamin is called Judah. And the south is the line of the Messiah. There's eight good kings. And uh, in the north, there was never a good king. Now, by this time, the northern kingdom, after many prophets, Elijah, Elisha had come in to warn them. Uh, they didn't pay attention. They have been taken over by the Assyrians and exiled all over the really the known world. Uh, so they no longer even exist, the ten tribes to the north. In the south there... Um, there is, we saw that just the astonishing picture of Hezekiah, a full-on revival is going on in the south in Judah, while in the north, the northern ten tribes are being exiled. And it just, there was just a picture of obedience in the south in, the, in, in Judah, and then the disobedience and the fruits of it in the north. However, we see here the son of Hezekiah, who, I mean, was it just awesome reading about him? I, I mean, it, just so encouraging reading about this man, Hezekiah. Uh, but his son is the most wicked king that ever reigned um, in the south, and he reigns for the longest that anyone had ever reigned. And you got to wonder, why, Lord? Why? Why? <laughs> uh, Uzziah, I think, was number two. He was a good king. But this guy, uh, Manasseh, reigns for 55 years. Now, we're going to get to this, but he's so wicked that the, the word of God disappears from the temple, and no one even notices. Uh, and his son, Josiah, who was a phenomenally good king, uh, doesn't even realize it. No one even knows any better until someone finds it in the temple. But that's how bad it, it, it's going to get under this guy, uh, Manasseh. Now, when it says there in verse 2, um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Uh, if you remember, if you've been with us for a number of years now, remember um, Abraham was promised the land. He was promised the land 500 years before they got the land, or 450, and he was told, you're not going to actually take ownership of it until the sin of the Amorites or the sin of the Canaanites reaches to the fullest, and then I'm going to have you just go in, drive them out, and establish a kingdom there, um, or establish a land for your people. And so you can only imagine how wicked things were, considering, among other things, I mean, I'm talking about at the a time of Abraham, um, considering that Sodom and Gomorrah existed during the time of, of, uh, of Abraham, but it still had to get So you can only imagine how 
wicked things must have gotten at the time that Joshua comes in with the Israelites. If 450 years earlier, Sodom and, and Gomorrah they, uh, existed and things had to get much worse than that. But it says here of Manasseh, it says here that um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom uh, the Lord had cast out. Now we're going to read later on that they're even going to get worse than that. Uh, but but uh, they, th this guy is just, I don't know, he's one wicked dude. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but I, I think it's worthy of, uh, of reminding us that, remember, Asa, a good king, gave, re gave birth to, uh, or his wife gave birth to Jehoshaphat, who was also a good king. Manasseh, who we're reading about now, his son Ammon was wicked. So wicked to wicked, good to good, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Manasseh to Ammon, evil to evil. Ahaz to Hezekiah, good to evil. And then uh, Man uh, rather Hezekiah, we've already seen, to Manasseh, that's good to evil. So th there's all four variations, all four variations. And, and, and so we learn, among other things, that kids are not bound to the sin of their parents. No matter how bad your parents are, you, you don't have an excuse if the Bible is right. Okay, time out. Thank you. So a kid, no kid can say, well, my parents were, were so bad. I, I, it's just inevitable that I'm going to be bad. Uh, but at the same time, uh, just because parents are good, sometimes um, their kids, even though they, they lived at a time where, uh, you, you know, with the example of, of righteousness, their kids can choose, can choose evil. Now, it's not like it's like completely random because we are given promises. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Um, and then my favorite in the book of Isaiah, um, which says that um, in chapter 54, it, it, it says, and this, this is what the Lord told me early on as a parent, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So it's not like it's completely random, but, but neither should, you, should someone assume that just because parents are righteous doesn't mean a kid will not rebel. And, it, it, it doesn't, um, and, and also just because parents are just uh, terrible parents are... A child may not, may, may not even have two parents, uh, as many of our, the kids in our, our church. They don't have two parents. They have one parent. Many of the kids in our children's ministry, and the father's completely absent, doesn't mean that they are sort of condemned to, to this horrible life. But, and, uh, but you have all four variants here um, that we see in the book of First and Second Kings. Verse 3 says... Um, of Manasseh that he rebuilt the high places which his Hezekiah, his father Hezekiah had destroyed. And I got to tell you, that, 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 is, that is painful just reading about it. You know, Hezekiah rose up. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was incredibly wicked. He boarded up the temple. He was the only king to do that. And he just brought in an incredible revival. He led an incredible revival. But here his son is undoing it. What, what, what Hezekiah did his whole life, his son, just I think, believe in a matter of years, just tears it down. He, it, it says there, um, continue on in verse 3, he raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Now, Ahab was his counterpart. He was the most wicked king in the northern kingdom, Ahab. And so 
very deliberate choice here by the Holy Spirit to bring in Ahab's name um, when he is talking about Manasseh. Um, and, and says he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. Verse 4, he also built altars in the house of the Lord. In other words, to other gods, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. So as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to think, so who's more wicked? Ahaz, who boarded up the temple, the only king to have done that, or is it Manasseh, who brings in pagan uh, pagan altars and pagan images and puts them in the temple. I, I, I don't know which one's more, worse, but I, they're both horrible. Verse 5, he built altars for all the host of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire. So he practiced child sacrifice. And we've seen this Throughout the description of, of the wicked kings, uh, they, would, they would see other nations do that to their gods, and then they would do that to themselves. It says they practice soothsaying, and, and soothsaying is, is like fortune-telling. Don't think that going to a fortune-telling is, a fortune-teller is a harmless thing. It's not. There's a demonic activity involved there. They used witchcraft. He did, rather. Used witchcraft. He consulted spiritists and mediums. In other words, he wanted to speak with his dead uncle or whoever. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. The Bible does say that God's anger suffers long. Love suffers long. First definition in 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers wrong. And if you do a Greek study, and I just mentioned this a few weeks ago or a few Sundays ago, that the, the Greek term there is it takes a long time to boil over, meaning it takes God a long time. A long time. It says in, it, it says in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, he's just abounding in mercy. And his love suffers long, but he did much to provoke him to anger, it says here. Verse 7, he even set up a carved image of Asherah. So this, I believe, is a provocative, sexual, sensual statue. And he set it up in the temple, it says, in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out, all the, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Wow. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded, commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. Verse 9, but they paid no attention. In other words, to that command that God set up the temple to put his name there forever. Paid no attention to that. And it says, Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations which the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh seduced the people to do evil. Now, probably going to get into trouble with someone. I'm probably going to get an email from someone. But in the last couple of elections, I was told repeatedly from Christians, don't worry about a presidential candidate's character. Just look at policies alone. And, you know, when I heard that, I, policies are incredibly important, to say the least. But what Bible are you reading when you tell me not to worry about a presidential candidate's character? What Bible are you reading? I'm not, I'm not saying just because a guy had flaws in his characters that no one should vote for him. But I, one prominent pastor said, get over it. Oh, really? <laughs> well, what about the Bible? 
It says Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now fast forward to chapter 22. I don't usually do this. But chapter 22, you have what some people, some people call the most righteous, the godliest man. Amazingly, his son, Josiah. It says, it says there um, in, uh, that, that Josiah is like rebuilding the temple and everything. And in verse 7, it says um, they, they, they raised money to, to pay for the building of the temple. Verse 7 says, however, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Why was that? Anyone want to say, someone shout it out. Why, why did they deal faithfully? Someone shout it out, please. Exactly, because the leader at the top was a godly man. And by this time, by the, by the way, there uh, 10 years, I think, had gone by. Something like 10 years had gone by after uh, Josiah was seeking the Lord, seeking it so much, it was just a trickle-down effect because the guy at the top of the pyramid was a godly man. Please don't tell me character doesn't matter in a presidential candidate. You can, it does matter. It doesn't mean you don't necessarily, you don't vote for that person, but it, it's a factor in whether you do. Character matters. And that's just what the Bible says. Okay, so I don't mind. You can send me emails. Please love me anyway. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke by his servant, the prophet, saying... Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations. So now he's, the Lord is sending prophets. Why does God do that? It's one of the most curious things. It's like, they're so wicked. They don't deserve prophets. They don't, de they don't deserve warnings. Why are you doing this? Because he's not like us. He loves. No matter how wicked we get, he loves. In the end, this same guy, Manasseh, is going to repent, and the Lord is going to receive him. And I really scratch my head when I see that. But, but, but he's sending prophets here um, in verse 10, uh, and the Lord spoke by his servant, the prophet, saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly, uh, actually, so you see here, it's more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. So actually, right here is the verse where it says his behavior here is worse than the nations that they pushed out. And remember, those nations were all the wor much worse than Sodom, even Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 12, therefore, thus says the Lord God um, of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. I mean, it's going to get really bad. It's going to make people shudder. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the uh, measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Wow. I hope you're not one of those people who just throw dirty dishes directly into the dishwasher without pre-cleaning them. Are you one of those people? Raise your hand. Don't, no, don't raise your hand. Come on, that, that would be shameful. But here what he's saying is he's going to bring such calamity, it's going to be, it's almost like Jesus said, remember Jesus said of the temple, he said not one stone will be left on another. It's the same kind of thing. In other words, there, uh, even th there'll be maybe the rubble of, of the temple once I destroy it is what um, he, the prophets are saying here. But then even that, I'm just going to flatten that. I'm going to just, Jerusalem is going to be judged in such a severe way that even the temple, I mean, rather, even the rubble is going to be carted off. I'm going to wipe them clean. Verse 14, so I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance 
and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil to, in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. The heart of God is weeping. And by the way, when it says in verse 10 that he sent servants, his servants, the prophets, uh, to Manasseh, it is believed, right, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks of the hall of faith, all the faithful ones, and it, towards the end of the chapter, it mentions prophets who were so, sawed in half. A Jewish tradition says Isaiah was one of them. We do know that Isaiah was prophesying during the time of Manasseh. And some a Jewish tradition says that he was one of the guys. It's like, Manasseh, just get out of my face. You know, when, when people are in sin, they don't want, you know, it becomes radioactive whenever you put a finger on, on someone's sin. All of a sudden they get, you know, you, you, you know that someone has a sin problem when you start bringing it up and, and, and all of a sudden they get radioactive on you. And so, so he, it, it, Jewish tradition said he, he sawed Isaiah in, in half. And again, that's right out of Hebrews chapter 11. That was done to someone. Jesus also said um, to, the, to, the, uh, to, to the Pharisees, the chief priests and religiously, which one of the prophets did you not kill? I mean, actually, there were some who were not killed, but, but here where it talks about Manasseh, um, and, and it, it just talks about how, uh, look at verse four, 16, it says, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Wow. But, but some believe that that's talking about prophets who went to him, it went to them and, and, and sent by God. It's like, please turn back. I love you. You're my children. Please, what's going on? And they were killed. He just killed them. He, got the, he silenced the voice till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now all the now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin he committed, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his father, and he was buried in the um, garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamath, the daughter of Herez of Jothbah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So pause, time out. In 2 Chronicles, amazingly, it has some information that we don't see in 2 Kings. So 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, and, 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 and 2 Chronicles is just about the, the, the kings of Judah. So you see a story... Um, in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you read two stories of the same kings as they go along, and oftentimes um, in 2 Chronicles, uh, you read more information about that king. And one, one of the things that we read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says that Assyria, who, remember, had gone in and had basically overrun the northern ten tribes and exiled their people to all over the world, it says that he also went down to Jerusalem and got Manasseh the king and took him away. You don't have to turn there. Second Chronicles 33.11 says, The Lord brought upon them the captains of the armies of the king of Israel who took Manasseh with hooks. Now, if you've been here and we've... 
the, the last month or two, you've already heard, and, and, and I don't necessarily like to repeat this over and over, but the, what they did, what the Assyrians did, they took their exiles, put a hook in their nose, and took them back to Nineveh or wherever they were. So they, Manasseh actually, God judged him. And he, he was taken back um, to the king of Assyria with hooks. Um, but in verse 12 of 2 Kings 33, it says, Now when Manasseh was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty. He heard his supplication. He brought him back to Jerusalem. And then it says, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And then what does he do when he gets back? What does he do when he gets back to Jerusalem? Oh, he just goes back into, you know, his sin. No. He actually, at verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 33, says he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built, he, he tore them down. This is what Manasseh did. And it just reminds me so much of what happened with Ahab in the north. I mean, you read about Ahab, it's like, does anyone get more wicked than this dude? Married to Jezebel, Killing, they killed prophet after prophet after prophet. The prophets were living in caves because they were all getting killed. And then what he does to Naboth, that's one man, he has a nice vineyard next to the castle, and he says, hey, I want that. No, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to do this under Jewish law. Well, you know, they, they, have, they frame him and put him to death, him and Jezebel. And he does all this wicked stuff for so long. And then towards the end of his life, well, I don't know how long, how many years it was before the end of his life, but when Elijah goes to him and says, God's going to smite you, dude, he repents. And he walks around Samaria with like ashes on his head. And, and, and God's like, says to Elijah, he says, hey, look, did you see, did you see Ahab? He repented. And I can just imagine Elijah going, you're not going to accept that, right? Like, you're not going to actually take that. <laughs> and, and, and that's, but when, I, when I read the account about Ahab and when I read the account about Manasseh here, I'm like, say it isn't so, Lord. You're not going to let these guys off the hook. I mean, this guy Manasseh, he, he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, it says, with blood, verse 16 of chapter 21. Oh, how God's ways are higher than man's ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth so far. I, I, and, and, and so ne next time you fall flat on your face, remember, with God there's always mercy. Always. It's interesting, though, that consequences of lead, leading an evil life like this still play out, right? And one of the ways we see that here is what? What does he do? He goes back to Jerusalem. He, he breaks down all the idols and he goes around to people saying, look, I was wrong. Uh, for, for 45 years or 50 years, however long it was, I was wrong. Turn back to God. And did people listen to him? Not his son. And I hear this tragic story a lot, you know, when um, the Lord is so merciful, he, he, he saves, oftentimes he'll save someone in their, in, their, in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, and then the people go back to their children and like, you gotta believe in God, I, I did everything wrong, and their, and their kids are like, I'm not gonna listen to you. And that's what Ammon did. Like a wicked dude. And Manasseh came back and, and was, was like, no, no, I, I was wrong this whole time. I, I love the verse there that it says there in, um, in 2 Chronicles. It, it actually says uh, that 
he knew the Lord was God. And so, you know, he, he, he talks about it. And his son no doubt knew, but by then, to, by then his son was just like a rebel. And he died in his sin. He died in his sin, a, a, a tragedy. Verse 24 of chapter 21 of 2 Kings says, now the people of the land executed, no, sorry, verse 23 says, the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. So his own servants killed him. So his dad lasted 55 years. He lasted two years. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? We'll be there soon. And he was buried in, the tomb, uh, in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Boskath. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So again, there's going to be a lot more written about Josiah in the book of Chronicles. We'll get there eventually. But just as Hezekiah undid all that Ahaz did, and then Manasseh undid what um, Hezekiah did, here he's going to undo what his father Manasseh did. It says in verse 3, Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that, it, that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of um, Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, uh, Go to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought uh, into the uh, house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered for the people. So he's rebuilding the temple. He's putting the temple back together. What? what it's very sad walking around Boston, seeing churches in disrepair if they haven't already been sold and made into condos. It's a picture of the spiritual state of this city, that the churches are in great disrepair. Again, mo I, 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 I would venture a guess that over 50% of them have been turned into condos by this point. They have. That's like a very common thing now here in Boston. Maybe it's not 50%. Maybe it's higher or lower, but a lot of them. <laughs> and the, and the, again, the temple was left, it was put into great disrepair under, uh, under Manasseh. But here he is, he's building, first things first, he's, he's building the temple back up. He's repairing the temple. Uh, it, it, in Second Chronicles, it gets into all kinds of other things that Josiah did, which were um, absolutely uh, wonderful um, that he did. Um, but um, here he's repairing the, the temple. And again, um, so he raises money. Verse 5, he says, let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. Now, I'm not, I'm not into churches that are whatever, billion-dollar churches. I know there's no church that billion. I'm not into, like, like incredibly ornate churches and and, and tens of millions of dollars to make things look incredible. But it, they should be in good functioning order, right? In order for people to go in and, and to just... I mean, the heater needs to work, right? The air condition needs to work. The, the, the chairs don't fall down. 
And, and, and you know, it's important that that's an investment in the, in the kingdom um, of God here. Um, and so he's repairing the damages to the house. Verse 6, to carpenters, builders, and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there, were, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So a great contrast. A great contrast to what had happened under Manasseh, Manasseh, Manasseh seduced the people and the evil. Josiah, there's a trickle-down effect here. Verse 8 says this, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money and that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. So, again, Josiah's, Josiah's I, I, rather, Josiah's grandfather, I think I misspoke earlier. Josiah's grandfather, I think I, I, I mentioned that Josiah was Manasseh's son. No, he's Manasseh's grandson. But he reigned for 55 years, incredibly wicked until the very end, and so wicked that over time, the word of God was lost, it was hidden, and of course, no one noticed. Now, don't be lost on the connection. When you stop teaching the word of God, it will allow wickedness to just multiply and spread. There's a connection there. Don't lose that. There's a connection. Don't miss that connection. And, and, and here, there's going to be a wonderful revival. We'll read more about that in, um, in Second Chronicles, where, uh, where the Word of God is going to be, is going to be reintroduced. Now, of great concern to me personally, and to many who love the Word of God, it's in the United States of, the, uh, of America, the, the, the book is not lost in the sense it's not the only Bible in America is not hidden away in some temple, but it has been so trivialized, the teaching of the Word of God, that it puts really the whole nation at, at risk, certainly the body of Christ. I remember years and years ago when we started on the radio, they called me up trying to convince me um, initially just to, uh, you, you don't have to put on 30-minute sermons, just put on 15-minute sermons. It's been proven today that people in church can't pay attention longer than 15 minutes. That, that, that's what they told me. And, and, and I believe, actually, he's right. He was right. It was, it's not like he was lying. But is that, should I be doing that as a pastor? Should I not be trying to train people to listen to the Word of God long, for a longer period of time so that they, they become strengthened? Is the wickedness that, uh, around, uh, that was around Manasseh, doesn't that exist today? Don't you think that the people, uh, th that a, a shepherd or a pastor or an elder board and, 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 and women leaders, don't you think they have a responsibility to train people in the Word of God so in order not only to withstand the wickedness, wickedness around them, but to overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but it's, we're not going to do that with 15-minute sermons, which have become really prominent all over the country. And some of you are saying, you know, Steve's making excuses for his 60-minute sermons. I, that's not what I'm doing. Th that is too long. I, 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 really, it is. Um, for, for a Sunday morning. Um, but, but, uh, and I don't do it that often. Come on. But, but the point being is, uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> 
But the point that I'm making is that, you know, is it Hosea that says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge? And we need to be built up in the Word of, in the word of God. And it doesn't take hiding all the Bibles. Satan doesn't have to go around and find every Bible and hide it in order to reduce the teaching of the Word of God to basically nothing. All he has to do is convince a, convince a bunch of people like me. I just need 12 and a half minutes, which is actually, with a commercial on the radio, it would have just been 12 and a half minutes, not 15 minutes. Just convince people to do that, and they will be so they'll have backbones like jelly and they'll just be low-hanging fruit for the devil. You see, the prominence given to the word of God here and the connection that it had to being evil. And just in 50 years, the word of God had been lost and even a righteous man like Josiah, he doesn't even realize that something was wrong because it had been so long since anyone had read the book of the law. It says that he tore his clothes. Now, what exactly he read, I don't know. At least he read through Deuteronomy. I believe he probably also read um, the book of Judges and probably uh, First and Second Samuel possibly even beyond that. But man, if you read, if, if all he read was Genesis through Deuteronomy, you can understand why he tore his clothes. Because if you remember Deuteronomy, at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 28, which is close to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving a, a sermon which was, by the way, much longer than 20 minutes, much longer than an hour. I mean, this was one long sermon, the book of Deuteronomy. But uh, uh, probably took him a few days to, to, to teach the book of Deuteronomy or to, to state it. But remember at the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, now it shall come to pass, verse 1, Deuteronomy 28, if you diligently obey the, uh, uh, the voice of the Lord your God to observe all of his commandments, I command you today, he will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And it just goes on to say just the blessings that will just come in. But then verse 15, it says, but it, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord. Then he goes on and wow, you're going to be in some pain. It just carries on for 45, 50 verses. 53 verses about what they will be suffering if they disobey the word of God. And, and Josiah reads this. Now this guy, he is just such a wonderful man of God. Um, later on in the chapter here, he, he, he's, when he goes to, they go to consult the, the prophetess about him, it mentions the fact that his heart was tender before the Lord. He had a tender heart before the Lord. And it says that he also wept when he heard the, the hearing of the word of God. Is that awesome? I mean, is that totally awesome? I mean, that, that, that is what I want. That is what we want, Calvary Chapel, when we read the word of God and there's something violating, there's something, maybe not even in our own heart, but just in our own family or in our city that it, it draws us to tears. But you can understand why when you read the Deuteronomy that this was, he, 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 was, he, he, was, he was filled with terror for his own people. He tore his clothes. Verse 12, then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Esaiah a servant of the king, saying, verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. 
Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Verse 14, so Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah. All the babies we're having in this church. It was like 25 in the last two years. Come on, we need a Huldah. Sorry. As a woman of God, they seek out a woman who loved the Lord. Who heard from the Lord. This woman named Hulda. Notice they don't go to the high priest. They don't go to the priest. They go to this woman. Her name is Hulda. It says that um, she was the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with you know what's so wonderful about this they don't go to the high priest are you ready for this they go to the wife of a tailor the wife of a tailor probably uneducated not from some rich class of people but I'll tell you, ladies, men, it doesn't matter who you are. If you start seeking the Lord and consecrate your life and strip your soul bare before him every single day, he'll start speaking to you. And so oftentimes, it's been my experience that like multiple degrees and things like that, you got to deprogram yourself to be used by the Lord. Not that education's bad. It's great. It's a spiritual thing to do to go out and get, get an education or whatever so you can support a family. It's a spiritual thing to do. But so oftentimes it's impediment and it's being used by the Lord. She's the wife of a tailor and everyone knew. Notice it doesn't say they went from person to person to person to find out what the, what the Lord was saying. He doesn't say that. They, apparently, they did a beeline. This woman had a reputation. She knew the word of the Lord. She knew, she heard the voice of God. She stripped her soul bare every single day. And they go to her. And she says, they say, they're like, this is what the, the law says. This is what we've done Hulda, what do you say? What do you, what's the word that you have from us? And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. In other words, tell, tell Josiah. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read... Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and they, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. So I believe in Chronicles. If it's not Chronicles, it may be somewhere else. It, it actually says just the sin of Manasseh was just so exceedingly great that the Lord... You know, the Bible says his, his, the, the, the judgments of the Lord are altogether righteous. And he just decided, I have to judge this. Not even a righteous king. And a, I would say a partial revival. The revival under Hezekiah was a full-on revival. Under Josiah was a partial one. But not even that's going to turn it back. Verse 18, but as for the king of Judah, meaning Josiah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants. 
that they would become a desolation and a curse. And, bef- and, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place. So they brought back that word to the king. And I'll often pray this for myself. God, give me a heart that's just tender before you. A heart that's willing to receive whatever word he's saying, no matter how painful it is. It's a beautiful picture of a man of God. He was given as a gift to the nation of Israel. And I do look at I, I, I do look at the life of Josiah sometimes and I do I do think of Boston. I think, Lord, can we just have one more revival? I know we're the least worthy of any city in the world. We have 60 colleges around this city. So many of them are exporting anti-God, humanistic idolatry all around the world. Hollywood isn't the wickedest place. It's the people who come up with the ideology that is the most wicked. And that's our city. But we've already seen from the example of Manasseh and Ahab, God's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would you have mercy on this city? God loves to pour out his mercy on a people who are crying out for it. What a gift. You know, it says in the, uh, uh, what a gift, meaning Josiah, how he had how he was to the nation of Israel. It says that he became king when he was eight years old, you know, and some people, uh, you know, I, I heard one person talk about this and they were saying, well, he, had, he observed how bad things were under his grandfather that he had learned something. I don't know, eight years old? This just seems to be unadulterated grace. Giving the nation of Israel what they did not deserve. What is grace? When you get what you don't deserve. Or as we like to say, you deserve a punishment, you get a reward. The reward being you get what Jesus Christ purchased for you, even though you didn't deserve it.